Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope, that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. to to speak and, and share with uh, the local community, uh, the people that we do life together with uh, every single day. And so, uh, as you saw, Pastor Ryan's not here this week. He'll be back next week along with Pastor Adrian. But they just they deserve some rest, man. They're uh, they're great leaders. They're wonderful pastors. Yeah, we can clap for them. Honor them. Pastor Ryan asked me a little while ago if, if I'd share, and and, uh, and so I started to, to write down some notes on a Saturday morning and take a look at um, some scripture, and then uh, I just felt like God laid something on my heart for this church, and I didn't know when it was going to happen, but uh, after I, I wrote it, he asked me to speak, and sort of, uh, actually the, the, the day and time that I was supposed to speak got delayed a couple of times, and so I was like, that's fine, that's fine, uh, but I truly believe that God's given us a word, given us uh, something for our church, for our house. Um, and if you're a first-time guest, we love you. We're glad you're here. Welcome home. Um, and, and if you're a part of the family of God, then this is for you too. But I uh, just want to encourage our people, uh, our family, our, our local family this morning uh, with a passage of Scripture from Proverbs 24. And uh, this passage of Scripture speaks about the lovers of God. Uh, God identifies us in this passage as lovers of God and as, as family uh, with him as sons and as daughters in the family of God. And he, he speaks to a couple of different things that I want to highlight, but uh, uh, we'll get to the heart of it uh, in just a second here. Uh, but in pa- uh, Proverbs 24, verses 13, uh, 13 through 21, uh, it says this, Revelation knowledge is a delicacy, sweet like flowing honey that melts in your mouth. Eat as much of it as you can, my friend, for then you will perceive what is true wisdom. Your future will be bright, and this hope living within you will never disappoint you. It continues on, and we're going to look at that in just a second, but I want to pause and and take that in for a second, not just skip over something really powerful where God tells us, hey, I have wisdom for you. I have insight and understanding. I've never heard anybody tell me, man, I could use less wisdom. I could use less understanding, right? So this is important for us to lean in because what's coming is wisdom. What's coming is revelation from God. He speaks through Proverbs here so powerfully to us. And and, and how many of you know, sometimes wisdom, it's good for you, but it's not easy to take in. And so some of the things that we're going to talk about might challenge us, and that's okay. And some of the things we might be walking out, and I know I am. Because this is, this is preaching to me and something that I'm working out that I'm just sharing with you that I think applies to where we are as a church body moving forward in our walks with the Lord together. He, uh, he transitions after that, after this kind of invitation to, to latch on to and, and taste this wisdom. And, and there's kind of two phases here. Uh, first in verse 15, he says, Listen up, you wicked, irreverent ones. Don't harass the lovers of God and don't invade their resting place. For the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. But the unrighteous are brought down by just one calamity and will never be able to rejoice again. I love this first section of the scripture because God speaks to us as our provider, as our defender, as our father, right? Towards any adversity that, that might face us, towards anybody that we might be in conflict with or might be kind of like a hostile relationship, he says, listen up. Not my kids. And I like that. I like that part of our Heavenly Father. 
I like that we have a God that goes before us. I like that we have a God that's inviting us into more and, and protecting us and looking out for us and makes it personal. But also he transitions here in the second half uh, and, and kind of turns back to us and says, all right, now that I, I, I've taken care of that, we've got to have a conversation too. There's some things in, in this relationship between you and I that I need you to walk out, that I need you to grab a hold of. And in verse 17, he says, never gloat when your enemy meets disaster. Don't be quick to rejoice if he falls. For the Lord who sees your heart will be displeased with you and will pity your foe. Don't be angrily offended over evildoers or be agitated by them. For the wicked have no life and no future. Their light of life will die out. My child, stand in awe of Yahweh. Give counsel to others, but don't mingle with those who are rebellious. So he finishes up with some, some great counsel, with some hard words that we're going to dive into today. So let's pray over this time together that God would speak, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to speak today and teach us. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for, for you and that you would invite your, your son Jesus into this story and into our lives, that you would boldly proclaim that we are lovers of God, that there is purpose in our lives, Father, and that you would stand with us as we seek to walk it out. Father, help to teach us this morning. Help our hearts and our minds to be teachable and moldable so that we can leave this place better than when we walked in, closer to you. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 I love this, uh, this passage of, of Scripture, and I love Proverbs. I would highly encourage you in your, your daily walk with the Lord to hit up Proverbs or Psalms. There's just something encouraging about getting good advice or hearing godly wisdom on a regular basis. And so uh, I want to jump right in here to uh, verse 15, where we kind of highlighted this, this, this conversation where God is kind of standing in front of us as that defender, provider, father, telling the rest of the world, hey, listen up, these are my kids. You know, don't harass them. Don't invade their resting place. But I want to I highlight a couple of assumptions that God makes here about our lives and how we should be living that relationship that we have with God as lovers of God. It says right here, uh, don't harass the lovers of God and don't invade their resting place. The implication that God is making here is that there is a resting place in your life. And I know we, we spent a whole series talking about this, right? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Pastor Ryan did an incredible job talking to us about how we need to slow down, how we need to rest, how we need to invest in our personal relationship with God, reorient our priorities. All of that stuff is important. Rest is good, but having a resting place, a place of rest, is better. And I think um, the, the church terminology in the last few decades that have come to represent this idea of, of a place of rest is the, the quiet place or the secret place. Jesus talks about this when he talks to his, his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He says, you know, if you do it out in the open and you're shouting and hollering and praying on the street corners, people are going to clap for you and tell you you're such a great Christian, but that's all you're going to get out of that. He's like, if you, if you want true relationship with the Father, then you, you hide away and you go to the secret place. You shut the door. And then what happens there between the Father and you, that is your reward. That is something that can make a difference. And so the question for us right out of the gate is, if we call ourselves lovers of God, if we're identifying with this phrase that he's speaking over us, do we have a place of rest? Do we have a place that we can go into the quiet and close the door, and it's just me, and it's just God, and I can work on that relationship with my father that's my defender and my provider and the one that's standing before me and always on my side? Is that something that I'm cultivating on a daily basis? Because 
as it continues on in verse 16, this is the important thing here. For the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but, love a good but, they will continue to rise over and over again. This is, this is the promise, right? If you have that resting place, if you have that secret place, if you're cultivating that relationship, if you're leaning into the love that God has for you and you're growing in that, then when adversity comes, not if, but when adversity comes, you have an antidote to it. Love, cultivated in that secret place, is the antidote to adversity. When it hits, because it's gonna hit, we all know this is a fallen and broken world. Life is not just puppies and sunshine, right? It's not that thing that, oh, I'm a Christian now. I'll never have any issues again. Nobody will ever lie to me again. Nobody will ever disappoint me again. I'll never make a mistake. We know that's not true, right? Life's not perfect. We're not perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But what keeps us rising again and again, it's love. And where is that love cultivated? It's in the resting place. It's in the secret place. It's in the quiet place. It's in those intimate moments with God that we take intentionally. Now, that stuff is important. It's super critical. But we have to understand that there's a a shift here also in the conversation as God's speaking this wisdom over us. He's highlighting on the one hand how we as lovers of God need to be in relationship with him. That's priority number one, right? It's absolutely critical because if, if we're not moving out and working out from the resting place, then we're gonna be empty, We're not gonna be able to meet the adversity that comes. We're not gonna be able to deal with people or the relationships that are causing friction in our lives or stress or whatever, or even the circumstances. Maybe it's not even about people. But ultimately in 17, there's this shift and and God goes from kind of telling, uh, you know, everybody that's maybe hostile or or frictional against us uh, that, hey, these are my kids and saying, hey, we're gonna take care of this together in the secret place. He turns around and he starts to have a conversation with us. There's some really powerful and really intentional things that God is telling us here through Proverbs that we have to pay attention to. Otherwise, we risk losing quite a bit. We risk losing quite a bit. It says in 1 John 4, 20 through 21, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Why is that important? In verse 17, because God transitions. He says, I'm going to be your defender. I'm going to be your provider. I'm going to stand before you. I'm always going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. What we do together in the quiet place, in the secret place, the love that's cultivated there, that's going to sustain you. That's going to help you rise in the face of adversity. But... Never gloat when your enemy meets disaster. Don't be quick to rejoice if he falls, for the Lord who sees your heart will be displeased with you and will pity your foe. Don't be angrily offended over evildoers or agitated by them. We have to understand that when we are lovers of God, when we're operating from from this uh, relationship that's restored us and healed us, when we feel this new hope rising up within us, when God is doing a work in us, that means that there's kind of a a, a little add-on, an expectation that God has for us with the way that we treat those around us. It it just, there's a shift that happens. And we have to understand, as, as it says in 1 John 4, loving God includes loving people. If you're not a lover of people, you're not a lover of God. It just, it, it, it's, it's tough sometimes because people, right, what does the text tell us? People can make us angry. 
They can, make, they can offend us. They can hurt us. They can agitate and frustrate us, right? It's never gloat when your enemy meets disaster and don't be quick to rejoice if he falls. The assumption there is that we're gonna have enemies. There's gonna be people that frustrate you. There's gonna be people that do things and you're just looking at it and you're like, why? Why would they do that? Nice people wouldn't do that. Or kind people wouldn't do that. Or why me, right? Or, or why is this relationship this way? Or why is this circumstance come upon me in this particular fashion? And, and we have an opportunity with how we respond based upon what God calls us, lovers of God. So we have to understand, if I'm going to be a lover of God, that means I'm going to be a lover of people. Because those people are made in his image. And those people that the text calls our enemy, the day they find Jesus, they become your brother or your sister in Christ. So we have to be very careful how we treat them and also how we represent God when we say that we are a lover of God. Jesus says it best this way, and we always take it back to the words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, verses 31 through 36, Jesus says this. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, so you be kind. I, I love the, the words of Jesus here. It's, it's so powerful because it echoes back to this idea that we find in the Old Testament in Scripture. Uh, something that I know uh, in, in the church, in the faith, we hang on to a lot is this idea, that if, if God is for me, who can be against me? Paul writes that in Romans. But what we have to be careful with is that we don't pervert that statement and make it something that it's not. It is if God is for me, who can be against me? But it's not if God is for me, then he's against everybody else. Because God is a God of all people. He's calling all people unto himself. He seeks relationship with everyone. And he wants to be a God for all. How do we know that? We know that because in, in, in John three sixteen it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him would have eternal life. It says back there in Luke chapter 6 that the Father lives towards us generously and graciously even when we were at our worst, right? What is God calling us to? God is calling us to be in relationship with him first and foremost. But from out of that place, he's calling us to live generously and graciously with other people even when they're at their worst. And why is that? Because that's what he did for us. And I know I have a lot of worst in me. I know personally for me and my walk with the Lord, there's a lot of things that I've done. There's a lot of things that I've said. I have hurt people. And I recognize and am so thankful for a God that said, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, put, I'm gonna slap the label of lover of God on you even when you don't deserve it. That I'm gonna be willing to send my son to the earth to die for you, to give you salvation and identity even if you don't deserve it. And I don't. We have to understand as well, when, we, when we're looking at this, that 
there's a way to frame it that maybe helps us put it in better context or understand the, the gravity of what's at stake here. Sometimes it's easy to look and, and think about what we shouldn't do. And, and, and I, I, I want to reframe it here and think about why becoming a lover of God and treating people the way we want to be treated is so important because of what we're sacrificing if we don't. If we look at the passage in, in verse 19, it says, don't be angrily offended over evildoers or be agitated by them. For the wicked who have, uh, have no life and no future, their light of life will die out. I think sometimes in our flesh, if we're really, really honest, when we hear that's how God's going to deal with people who oppose us or where there's friction or hostility in relationships, we get that little smirk on our face. Or we think like, yes, you get yours because I've got my God and he's bigger than you. But really, when I read this and, and I take a step back from it, it's really sad. I mean, just this, this idea that people who don't cultivate that relationship with God, it's disheartening that they have no life and no future, that their light of life will die out. And in my flesh, I'm, I'm excited that, like, they're going to get theirs because of what they did to me. But ultimately, what this is speaking of, if we look at, like, the original text, is, is legacy, is eternity. Like, that's what's on the line. And so I, I don't want to be in a position where I feel like th that that's what's coming to them, and that's good. So how do I reshape my heart? How do, I, how do I get to a place where God is working in me to treat others the way I want to be treated or the way that he has treated me? And I think, like I said, we have to be thinking about what's at stake if we don't do that. There are three things that uh, are highlighted here in verse 19. It talks about anger, offense, and agitation. First and foremost, what am I sacrificing if I'm angry? When I'm angry, I'm not at peace. It says in Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. Ultimately, we have to understand that if I'm not dealing with people through a lens of God, if I'm not dealing with people out of what he's poured into me in the secret place, then I have the ability to get angry and frustrated. And while that's real, and maybe sometimes people do things that make us angry and frustrated— Ultimately, what I'm sacrificing by leaning into that instead of leaning into what God says is peace. And sometimes, and maybe right now across the world, what we need a lot more of, or I was going to say a little bit more of, but a lot more of is peace. Just ultimately, I see a lot of discord when you go on social media or we just walk out in the streets or you try to have a conversation about things you didn't even think were controversial. Peace. When I'm angry... I'm not at peace. I'm sacrificing that. Second, when I'm offended, I'm not advancing. Proverbs 18, 19 says this. It says, it's easier to conquer a strong city than to win back a friend whom you've offended. Their walls go up, making it nearly impossible to win them back. I think it's, it's so great that the Bible tells us about what our friends are like when we offend them, but I think that we can twist this and we can, we can take it uh, into ourselves for just a second and say, when I'm offended, my walls go up, right? The drawbridge comes up, the gate gets shut, we dig in my heels, right? This person needs to understand or else they need to come to me and say they're sorry. 
But really, what are we doing when we hold on to that offense, when we put our walls up, when we dig our heels in? What we're doing is we're, we're closing ourselves off and we're keeping ourselves from advancement. And what comes with advancement? Opportunity, growth, promotion. We, we need to understand that when I'm offended, the thing that I'm, I'm sacrificing when I hold on to that, when I dig my heels in, is advancement. It is growth. It is opportunity because I'm stuck in the past and what's happened against me or how I feel like I've been treated. We've got to understand that it's easier to conquer a strong city than to win back a person who's been offended. Last, when I'm agitated, I'm not empathetic. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. We have to understand, we can't let frustrations with people or relationships or situations take us to a place where we lose our empathy. When we, when we refuse to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes for a minute. Because the moment we lose our empathy, what are we sacrificing? We're sacrificing compassion. We're sacrificing kindness. Really, ultimately, we're sacrificing hope. And we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. So, what do we do with that? Well, thankfully, you asked. And so in Proverbs, there are three things that God gives us that are almost like a, a way to, to work this out right, a a way to combat these things that can rear their ugly head when we face adversity or trial or issue in relationship, okay? When we're dealing with anger or offense or frustration, God says these three things. Verse 23, or 21, excuse me. My child, stand in awe of Yahweh, give counsel to others, and don't mingle with those who are rebellious, Why? Why these three? Why are these three things so important? Number one, why is it so important to stand in awe of God? Because standing in awe of God keeps me from standing in awe of myself. This is very, very important. In in James 4, 6, it said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. When when I want more favor on my life, when I want to see my relationship with God take a step forward, when I want to see growth, I can't continue to make it about me. I have to live in proper perspective. I have to stand in awe of God and what he has done and the fact that he has shown me kindness. He has been generous and gracious to me. He has given me everything I need when I was at my worst and move out from that position, and if that's the foundation, then I can accept favor and growth and advancement and move forward in my relationship as a lover of God. This is important. Number two, when my mouth, oh, before we go on, I gotta include my C.S. Lewis quote, because I love C.S. Lewis, so we gotta get a quote in there. This is is really powerful. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, for pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Eats up the possibility of love, contentment, or even common sense. I think this makes sense when we like really digest this because ultimately, 
it makes sense that pride would eat up love or contentment. But it's the thing that takes us to that place where in those situations, in those relationships where we haven't talked to that person for 10 years or in that situation where we feel like we're, we're drowning in that thing, where we, we look back and we say, how did I end up here? It's the thing that takes us to that place that goes, why did I do that? I know I've asked that question. And, and you don't have a why. You do, like, how did I end up here? I ended up at this place because I was willing to lift up myself and lose perspective about who God is and what he's done in my life. And slowly but surely, that took away love, took away contentment, and brought me to a place of effort. And, and out of my own self and own striving, I tried to achieve something I was never meant to achieve because I wasn't supposed to be God in my own life. You have to understand, standing in awe of God keeps me from standing in awe of myself. Number two, when my mouth is full of goodness, it can't be full of gossip. The Bible says, give counsel to others. I think what this is saying here is that it's challenging us. Is, is life coming up out of you when you speak? Is it encouraging other people? Is it good? Is it favorable? Right? I know uh, I used to be a, a teacher before I was an assistant principal. And um, not my favorite poster in my room, but one of my posters in my room. You've seen this if you've been in an elementary school classroom ever. Right? It's that poster that says, before you speak, is it kind? Is it caring? Is it gracious? Is it loving? Is it, you know, it's important for kids to know that. But guess what? It's important for adults to know that. <laughs> we need to understand that if I'm a person that the Bible is calling to give counsel of others, there's a responsibility and a weight to that. When words come out of my mouth, it, it's important. It says in, in James, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father. And with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We, we have to own and be more careful with our words. Whether we're speaking them or typing them, we have to be more careful. We have to be more intentional with them because they'll take us to a place where we're sacrificing things that we certainly don't want to sacrifice. The last thing here, it says don't mingle with those who are rebellious. Who you mingle with is who you make it with. I know it's been said over me by many mentors, many people who have invested in my life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who, who are you letting have a seat at your, your table of influence? This doesn't mean that you cut off relationships and you don't talk to people or if they're not in the family of God that you don't associate with them. This is just talking about intentionality. Who are you letting influence you? Who are the people that you're going to and, and checking yourself with? Who are those people that you have deep relationships with that, that know those things about you that not everybody knows? And, and how are you connecting and how are you staying healthy through those relationships and conversations? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. God wants you to be a person of good character. He wants you to own and live out the claim that he's put on your life, that you are a lover of God. So how do we do that? What now? We go back to the resting place. If you don't know how to stand in awe of God, you go back to the secret place and he will teach you. If you don't know how to have goodness flow up and life come out of you, 
maybe it's always been, I, it's easier for me to talk about other people when they're not in the room with other people. Well, I'm, I'm giving you permission to talk about them, but instead of everybody else in the room, how about you go take it to the secret place and you just tell God and you talk it out with, with you and him. Or if you're not sure, hey, who, who, who my friend should be or, or, or who should be letting influence my life, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and he's at the secret place. And so I don't know where all of this lands with each one of you, and I don't know where, where you're personally at, whether you're dealing with anger or offense or agitation or perspective with God or gossip or, or who's in your circle of influence or, or any of those things. But I do know this. God wants a relationship with you, and it starts in a place of rest. It starts in a place that you intentionally set aside for yourself and seek him. It starts with cultivating true love, true kindness where there's peace there's hope for advancement there's empathy there's goodness that's what God wants for you that's what God has for for us as lovers of God it's kind of heavy you know I I, I felt when I was writing this in my spirit and even even giving it even yesterday I, I felt like ah, this is like, this is a lot to chew on, and it is. It's not easy. I don't stand up here and, you know, claim to have done all those things perfect all the time. And I don't think that anybody should leave here with an expectation of perfection. What you should leave here with is knowing that as a lover of God, I may suffer adversity, and I may stumble seven times, eight, 10, 70, but I can rise again. I can continue to rise over and over again because God's revelation knowledge is there for me if I'm willing to step into an intentional space of rest, a secret place, a quiet place with him and shut the door and work on it and work on it. So let's pray over, uh, over the service today, over the word today, and whatever God's challenging us with, that it would not be fruitless, but that we would move from this place with purpose and intentionality. Thank you so much for joining us on The Local Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to local.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.